I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. I am Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. This is as intense as it gets for me. Smack dab in the middle of 16 consecutive days without a Marlins off day. A whole lot of stuff that just happened. A whole lot to prepare for on our ends. The team is riding high at the moment. Another series win coming off of over the weekend, entering May 2nd with a 12-9 and record right there in the projected playoff spot for this Marlins team with a nice, seemingly favorable series upcoming against the Diamondbacks. As usual, with every new series, we're going to have our series preview article by Nicole Cahill. We're going to have our series preview and predictions live stream fish stripes live presented by loop that's on youtube twitter and facebook find us there special guest coming up on monday night it is john morales the accomplished meteorologist a huge marlins fan that's going to be a lot of fun checking in on the marlins about one eighth of the way through this season and, and playing really good baseball so i'm going to take you through it relatively quickly of course on these monday episodes going through what happened over the weekend and all those games, what stuck out, what is relevant moving forward from that, handing out my fish prospects of the week honors to both a hitter and a pitcher in the Marlins organization. And on this show, I want to dive a little bit into revisiting the Jazzism Jr. for Zach Gallen trade that was intriguing at the time, and it has not disappointed with how it has worked out for both sides as those two players, Jazz Chisholm Jr. and Zach Gallen, are poised to meet on the field for the first time since they were swapped for one another three years ago. Some other miscellaneous things at the back end of this pod as well. It's a loaded show, and it's going to be a quick show, so buckle up. On the other side of this break, we go into the small pod section. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We are fresh off a three-game series between... The Marlins and the Mariners, the first meeting between these teams in five years at Lone Depot Park, this was. So on Friday, Marlins took the series opener 8-6, to six, one of the higher scoring games for the Marlins all season long. All the scoring for the Marlins came very early in this one. Eight runs in the first three innings to 
whip around Matt Brash, who was a very hyped pitching prospect entering this one. Really up and down the lineup. A lot of great production from the Marlins in this, and it started with Jorge Soler in the first inning of the game, hitting one of the longest home runs of the post Giancarlo Stanton era. Uh-oh, uh-oh, wow! How far is that one gonna go? Jorge Soler with a blast to left center field. That got the scoring started. By the time this one was done, every single member of the Marlins starting lineup got on base. Everybody except for Joey Wendell got at least one hit in this game. Very convincing win. And then at the very end, um, made it a little bit closer to comfort than you would like. Sean Armstrong was brought in to try to close the door with a five-run lead, and he wasn't even able to finish the game in this. So as we look forward, Sean Armstrong seems to be on a very short leash with this team in terms of how long he's going to stick around. This was a really disappointing particular game from him to almost let the lead slip away, even though it had felt so comfortable for most of that game up to that point. Moving on to Saturday, another Marlins win. Uh, another tight Marlins win by the final score of 3-1. to one. The storyline entering this one was the lineup decision by Don Mattingly going with an all-right-handed lineup facing Robbie Ray, the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner, who hadn't been especially sharp early in the year. So to contort your entire lineup just to deal with that matchup, and for the second time in three days, they had done the same thing against Patrick Corbin on Thursday to go all-right-handed in prioritizing platooning over putting forward your most talented lineup, it was unpopular from me in particular. I did not like it. For a lot of this game, it looked like they made a mistake. Robbie Ray was pretty dominant through the first four innings. Finally, in the fifth, they did break through for what was all three of their runs. Brian Anderson, I believe, was the one who ignited that rally. We'll get to him in a few more moments, how he's doing. So they score all three uh, in that ending. They only get one extra base hit in that game against Robbie Ray, and it was Brian Anderson's double. That was enough because Jesus Lazardo, this was his fourth start of the season and the third time of those four that he had been awesome. Six innings, only two hits, one run, allowed five strikeouts for Luzardo. The first time in his major league career that he had picked up the win in consecutive starts, just like he had the previous outing. Allowed just one run in this one. Who was it to? To the Mariners in the third. It was Dylan Moore, of all people, at the very bottom of their lineup, hitting a solo shot in this one. Lazardo was good, and the middle relievers were good as well. Anthony Bass and Cole Solser, they have, not, so, not even that quietly, I think it's a lot of people are recognizing how immensely valuable both those relievers have been. Easily the two best relievers in the Marlins bullpen to this point in the season. Solskjaer and Bass, they pitch the seventh and the eighth. Bender picks up his second save in as many days, and it is rocky, again, as most of his outings have been, but he gets it done, his sixth save of the season. Those three runs they scored in the middle innings held up, even without the services of Jazz Susan Jr. in this. Uh, Joey Wendell got a full day off. Jesus Sanchez only had a one at-bat off the bench in this. So the decision worked out, and that extended the Marlins' winning streak at the time to seven straight games, the longest one that they'd had since 2016. Leads us into Sunday. Marlins already 
playing with, how would you call it? Playing kind of um, doing better than you could have even hoped already to have won the first two games of this series. Um, just getting greedy, I guess. Going for the sweep on Sunday, Bark at the Park Day. Sandy Alcantara on the mound. You know his history pitching at home, especially on Sundays. And he was not his usual Sunday self for Sandy. He worked really deep into this game. And he almost made it through six quality innings. Uh, if you just skip ahead to that point, on a day where Sandy's velocity was down a little bit, his command was down, and he'd just been hit relatively hard in this game to this point, even to the sixth inning, instead of going to the bullpen, which was in reasonably good shape um, in terms of available arms, Don Mattingly tries to get Sandy through that sixth inning, and he allows a three-run back-breaking home run to Julio Rodriguez, consensus superstar prospect who had gotten off to a slow start to his major league career and this was his one breakthrough moment hitting a three-run shot to left center field against sandy the final score in this one was the marlins three mariners seven they trailed the marlins trailed this one almost all throughout the game as many as five runs at one point before closing it late and they did have some opportunities late after struggling against logan gilbert uh, outstanding start to his season he ends up getting the win, going five and two-thirds. They finally break through against him towards the end of his outing. Brian Anderson again with his first home run of the regular season. He had done a lot of good for this Marlins team to this point in the season. And finally, over the fence power, a, a no-doubter off of Gilbert. That finally got the Marlins on the scoreboard. After that, they had their opportunities against the Seattle bullpen. Um, got hits off of every single reliever that they faced in that pen. But aside from B.A.'s home run, uh, not a whole lot going offensively that really mattered. There just a lot of singles. John Birdie, a two-hit game. Garrett Cooper, a two-hit game. And Jorge Soler, at the very end, when it was already kind of out of reach, a solo home run, his second of the series, just to make the final score a little bit more respectable. This saw the return of Jazz, and as we learned out, he was dealing with a stomach bug the previous two days. Good to see that he is healthy. And that really sets the stage well for the second part of this episode now that we know for sure he's going to be available. And look for an upcoming article on Fish Stripes about the first 162 games of his major league career now that he reached that particular milestone. There was some plain old bad luck going against the Marlins in this. If you just look at the quality of contact they had versus the results, you would have expected better results from what they had done. And that's just how it goes over the course of the year. You have a bunch of games like this, as well as you have a bunch of games where the team overachieves in that department. So it happens, they did win the series just as they'd won the previous two series, and they do it against a pretty good Mariners team. Looking down on the farm, um, some up and down stuff from the Marlins minor league affiliates. It was a relatively good week for both individual star prospects and for the affiliate teams themselves. On the pitching side, my fish prospects of the week selection is right-hander Brian Hoeing. Here in 2022, given the move up to Pensacola, and he had arguably his best start of his minor league career to this point. Seven scoreless innings, allowing only two hits on Sunday, getting a win. To that point in the season, he's only allowed one earned run in his first four starts, and that was so convincing that he got promoted again up to Jacksonville. 
just one month into the regular season. Highly unusual. This guy who had been the best, the improbable star of the Pensacola rotation to the early to this point in the season, gets to move up to Triple A, where he, the plan seems to be that he'll be continuing to start as well. Uh, with that new level. So as first reported by Arm Layden of Just Baseball, Brian Hoeing moving up in the organization, potentially poised to break through to the majors by the end of this year. And on the offensive side, my hitter of the week is going to be Griffin Conine, Mr. Marlin's son in AA Pensacola after finishing up there last year. A lot of struggles towards the end of last season and the beginning of this year. It finally turned on for him this past week, hitting 429 in their past series, but also having consecutive games at one point without striking out. As we know, that has been Griffin Conine's concerning trait with him is just both the selectivity that he has and swing and miss that he has he has a, a strikeout rate historically that I have a hard time seeing playing at the major league level, but a step in the right direction this week to have several games in there where he was consistently putting the bat on the ball against different matchups. So his overall numbers this year looking a little bit better than they did at AA in his first taste of it in 2021. Somebody to keep an eye out because we know all about his power and his de- even his defense in the corner outfield spots, especially in this series, was extremely solid. Congrats to Brian Hoeing, Griffin Conan, my fish prospects of the week for the week of April 25th. On July 31st, 2019, seemingly out of nowhere, the Marlins and the Arizona Diamondbacks struck a deal, a rare one-for-one trade of very young, very talented players. Zach Gallen going to the desert in exchange for shortstop Jazz Chisholm Jr. Very spicy deal, an unusual challenge trade for two organizations at the time that felt they still had a pretty long way to go in making themselves contending teams. Nearly three full years later, 33 months, give or take, those guys are going to meet on the field for the first time on Monday night in the series opener between the Marlins and the Diamondbacks. And that trade has been every bit as intriguing as it looked at the initial time. You know, to put it bluntly for you, both those guys have panned out. And it's we don't know the final version of these guys. It's still so early in their major league careers, it is apparent that they are starting caliber players at the very least and potentially for many years to come. So we start with Jazz. As I mentioned during the small pot portion, 162 games exactly into his major league career. He has a 246, 302, 439 slash line, almost precisely a league average hitter, a little below average in terms of getting on base, a little above average in hitting for power. He's a great base runner. Yeah, honestly, even the numbers I feel are a little deceiving. He's even better than I think the results have been in that department. One of the truly elite sprinters, both in terms of stolen bases, in terms of taking extra bases, that's a big weapon for him. He has 24 home runs to this point of his career, 29 stolen bases. He strikes out a lot, of course. Um, that's the big concern with him is that there's a lot of swing and miss 
to his game. There have been I've seen some lofty comparisons. We know that he likens himself to Ken Griffey Jr., the first ballot Hall of Famer who had 600 plus home runs. Uh, if you want to be realistic, the the key difference between them is all the swing and miss that Jazz has in his game. Uh, even this year, where he's off to a great start. He is off to every bit as good a start as he was in 2021, if not even slightly better. But he is striking out in nearly 30% of his plate appearances. That's Even by modern standards, that's in, that's high. That's in bad territory. He's doing a much better job this year compared to last year in lifting the ball and letting his power play. He is great quality of contact. When he's fully healthy, there's not much doubt about that. So as long as he's elevating the ball at the right angles, right trajectories, he's going to get very good results. So I read you his career stats overall to this point, but I think it is extremely reasonable to expect those results to be even better this year. And of course, that's only part of the story. Jazz is one of the most electric personalities, one of the most marketable players in baseball. That has become very apparent. He just very organically jumble, rumbles into these situations on the field, off the field, a mix of both. And he does it in a way that is really, it's really hard not to like him. The way that he engages with fans, the way that he engages with who he's with on the field, the other players, the umpires, the the fans he sees at games. It's it's really He's a great character for the game. Somebody who I think even the Marlins would have to admit has raised the profile of the whole organization because of just really mundane things that he does that get a lot of people talking and a lot of people interested. There is certainly a dollar value to be attached to that. I don't know exactly what it is. The Marlins are fortunate about it because they made this deal trading from a strength Starting pitching has been a strength of this organization for about three years now. 2019, I feel like I'm going to do an article about this pretty soon. That was in the middle of that season. It became apparent that they were building up a very promising collection of arms. They traded from that depth that they had to fill the middle infield spot where there were a lot of questions. They must be feeling pretty happy that they did to this point, considering where they are at this particular time, where Jazz is kind of locked in for a very prominent role on in their lineup for the foreseeable future. The hope, of course, at the time was that he'd be their everyday shortstop. As time has gone on, that's looking iffy. He is a good second baseman, and we've seen the highlights of him. If you just watch the highlights, you might think he's the best second baseman alive. Ticketed for right field. A diving gem there by Jazz Chisholm Jr. I don't know about that, but he does make some good plays out there, and I think all the metrics agree he's above average at second base with the athleticism that he has, with the hands that he has, and the reaction time. Uh, For whatever reason, when he plays shortstop, it doesn't translate exactly the way that you'd want to. And that's why this year he has barely played any shortstop at all, if I have that correct. He's played no innings at shortstop so far here in 2022 after being kind of forced into that role quite a bit last year in 2021. So he, he he's looking like the second baseman of the future for this Marlins team. 
And he's looking like very likely all-star this year as long as he doesn't get hurt, knock on wood. We know that has been, that was an issue for him at times in 2021, trying to balance that reining in his energy in order to use it efficiently and use it safely on the field. Thinking about all the plausible directions that Jazz's career could have gone beginning in mid-2019, what we're getting now in reality is on the high end of value for the Marlins. It is working out very well from their perspective. What doesn't get enough attention is the other side of the deal. And Zach Allen, a breakout year in the first half of 2019, eviscerating AAA competition, developing in every aspect as a pitcher with a deep repertoire with more fastball velocity than they had thought he would have when they originally acquired him, of course, in the Marcel Ozuna trade. He'd broken through to the big leagues just the month before that they traded him. The early returns of that were solid, if not good, legitimately good. He made a pretty easy transition to the major leagues as was the case at the time, and right after the deal, he was kind of inefficient with his pitches as a starter. Too many walks, and the run. there was that disparity between the run prevention and the peripherals. You look at what's happened since then, and he's been pretty impressive. In 2020, during the shortened year, um, maybe you were too consumed with the Marlins winning to be following it, but Gallon was in the Cy Young conversation for a good chunk of the 2020, 2020 shortened season. You know, he fell off a little towards the end of the year, and then in 2021, had like not all progress is linear, so he had a bit of a step back in 2021, dealt with a pair of injuries, so he was limited to about three-quarters of the season in the D-backs rotation, and the results were certainly the worst that they had been at all to this point in his career. And then so far here in 2022, he is off to an awesome start. Through three outings, he has allowed just one earned run for the Diamondbacks, uh, essentially the ace of their rotation. On a team that also has Madison Bumgarner, it's Gallon that is the one that they would probably go to when everything is on the line, or I should say the one that they're going to lean on most heavily over the course of the regular season. We know Mad Bum is the the premier playoff performer and all that stuff, but Gallon's been great. So overall for his career in the majors, a 3.31 ERA, a 3.39 since he got traded to the D-backs, when you convert that and adjusted for league averages, it's at a 128 ERA plus, 28% better than league average, uh, allowing 1.2 base runners per inning. That's also slightly better than league average. Yeah, the walk rate is still slightly higher than you would like it, but he does an amazing job at just suppressing quality contact uh, for a lot of his career. Again, with 2021 kind of being the, the exception, if you look before that and what he's done so far early in 2022, he has a unique skill to just control um, balls in play from becoming too much trouble. For his career, a 276 batting average on balls in play, whereas the league average is in the high 290s. That That's something that each year of his career seems to be somewhat repeatable and, and part of his skill set to control that quality of contact. A deep pitch mix, as I said, um, like depending on the day that you see him, it could be his fastball command, it could be his changeup, it could be his breaking ball that is the key to him. He is a full-fledged starting pitcher. He has started every game of his major league career, and that seems poised 
to continue. The easiest way, I think, to encapsulate his performance is to compare him to a current Marlin who happens to be going up against him on Monday night, Pablo Lopez. I pulled up their stats dating back to 2019. Across the board, astonishingly similar. Pablo has 56 starts during that time. Gallon has 53. As I mentioned, uh, Gallon missed some time during injury with injuries, and we know that Pablo has had these recurring shoulder injuries that have limited his time. So the sample sizes are almost identical. Uh, just six innings of difference between them. Gallon, his earned run average uh, is better, as I said, uh, 3-3-1 overall, including his Marlin stays. Um, and for Pablo, it's a 114 ERA plus, 14% better than league average, whereas Gallon, since the trade, has been 28%. So Gallon better in that regard, but not working quite as deep into his outings, issuing a lot more walks, but also doing a better job at controlling the quality of contact against him. The strikeout numbers are pretty impressive. When you balance the, the strikeout percentage and the walk percentage, one stat that I like is strikeout rate minus walk rate. So the percentage of hitters um, that you're gaining by whiffing them as opposed to handing out free passes, just doing some simple subtraction from those two numbers. So for Gallon, it's a 27.5% strikeout rate, 9.5% walk rate, 18% strikeout minus walk rate. For Pablo, fewer strikeouts, 24.1%, way fewer walks, only 6.2%. You do the subtraction, and his strikeout minus walk rate is 17.9. Gallon at 18, Pablo identical, essentially, at 17.9. So that just shows you one of the pitcher-independent things that they do. And between the two, Pablo has had better luck keeping the ball in the ballpark, but there, whereas Gallon is... Pitching in some environments where it's harder to do that. So you adjust for that, and it's pretty similar as well, although Pablo has a slight edge in that department. This is just a way of saying that who exactly did the Marlins get rid of? What kind of role would Gallon have on the Marlins at that time if they didn't trade him? And I think I would say he is would be a co-number two starter for this team. You'd still put him behind Sandy, I think. Sandy's stuff... His ability to work deep into games, his durability, his intangibles. I think Sandy is still a superior pitcher to Gallon at this point. And if you're projecting forward, those two are almost identical in age for what it's worth. Um, but is Gallon better than Pablo, worse than Pablo? I'd say almost on the exact same level. And they're both, as I said, off to great starts this year. Not really one better than the other to this point. They are neck and neck, those type of players. Would Gallon be expendable? I, I think that would that's incorrect to say. When people look back on it and try to paint it as a clear win for the Marlins, that's under the assumption that the Marlins had five, six starters of Gallon's ilk lined up and ready to go. And even now, that's not the case. Gallon would be a fixture in this rotation right now. Imagine Gallon instead of Eliezer. The disparity between those two, Eliezer Hernandez, is... Is huge, frankly. And as high as you feel about somebody waiting in the wings, like Max Meyer and Edward Cabrera, it is it would be very irresponsible to project either of them to be as good as Gallon right away, or even to be much better than him once they're 
they really settle in to the big leagues. That is a big ask because Gallon is a firmly above average starting pitcher who at this rate on a D-backs team without many other great individual performances to this point in the season, Gallon is a possible all-star as well, just like Jazz is for the first time this year. So a very good player, um, one who, as I said, looked like he was reaching a special level in 2020, but I think at this point, uh, you don't have to worry about him being a perennial Cy Young contender. There are some limitations uh, with his command that I don't think are going to be ever ironed out on a start-to-start basis, but his floor is extremely high. So he's a different type of player than Jazz. Higher floor, slightly lower ceiling, but both these guys in a part of their career where their teams can hold on to them for several more years without even having to worry about it. And I think Gallon could age pretty gracefully, knowing that health is always the big wild card when talking about pitchers. He, I, I think he's just been a little unlucky in that regard. And he has some of the attributes that are going to age pretty well for the foreseeable future. That trade, anyway you slice it, is looking like a win-win for them. Gallon doesn't have the marketability than that Jazz does, the magnetism that Jazz has. All right, all right. So I, I think the Marlins should be feeling very happy about this. But D-backs fans can hold their heads up high as well. Gallon is is part of their team moving in the right direction, just like the Marlins trying to bounce back from what was a very frustrating 2020 season. They not only play three times this upcoming week, but then they meet in Arizona the following week. The way the schedule lines up, Gallon won't be part of that second series in Arizona. This is the one shot for Jazz and for Gallon to play against each other. Should be, if Gallon has anywhere close to his usual start, it should be three plate appearances for Jazz near the top of the Marlins lineup against Gallon. That will be spicy. That'll be great to see. Jazz has spoken about this in the past, how he was looking forward to matching up with Gallon validating the move from the Marlins perspective. I can't wait. Buckle up. That's Monday night, 6:40 first pitch. Be sure to tune in for that particular matchup between Jazz and Gallon. Two guys with a deep connection who will I think always be linked because of that trade consummated in July of 2019. Some other final notes just to get to. By the time you listen to this, the Marlins will probably have made their roster trim down moves. We covered this on the last podcast about who might get trimmed from the Marlins roster going from 28 spots to 26. I don't have a great feel for exactly what will happen other than Zach Pop is very likely to get squeezed out either via the injured list or an option. And then they have that choice between sending down another bullpen arm and going with a 13-man pitching staff or um, biting their tongue and holding their nose and sending down Brian De La Cruz despite his great production in a limited sample if they feel that he just does not have a substantial role to play based on the current configuration of the team. Fortunately, to this point of the season, the Marlins have been really well off from a durability standpoint. And that's why these decisions are so tough. It's because they have a lot of quality players who are available. And even those that aren't fully living up to their potential have nice track records that you don't want to totally dismiss. One of the reinforcements, a few guys that are injured to this point of the season, Dylan Floro is now four games into his rehab assignment, 
his return to the Marlins should be right around the corner, though not quite imminent. I don't think he's coming back on Monday. He just moved his rehab assignment to AAA. And I just want to caution people, if you haven't been following closely with Floro, coming back from a shoulder issue, calling it rotator cuff tendinitis, if I remember that correctly, where he basically had to start his whole throwing progression over right after spring training ended. So he was he was slowed by that. He just couldn't quite get it loose at the start of the year. It is, so it has already cost him three and a half weeks of the season. Even now, on his rehab assignment, he just doesn't look quite right. The main concern is that his fastball velocity is several ticks lower than it was last year. Even though he's not a conventional power arm, Last year, he was quietly averaging about 94 miles per hour on his fastball for a guy with a key changeup in his pitch mix, that being the one that he uses to put away a lot of batters. You need a certain fastball velocity in order for that changeup to play off of it. To this point, in his rehab outings, he has maxed out the highest velocity he has reached in any of these rehab outings, 93 miles per hour, and his average velocity has been about 91, a three full ticks below where it was just last season and where it had been the previous few years as well. That's that's a concern. It is not often you see somebody drop down multiple miles per hour in their fastball from one year to the next and still maintain their exact same effectiveness. Hopefully, he has at least one more AAA outing ahead this upcoming week and that velocity ticks up a little bit. Otherwise, I, I don't know whether they would bring him back straight or kind of take a break and reassess exactly what the issue is to the, to this point and whether he could fully get through that. The Marlins need him. Um, there's a lot of discourse we've had about this bullpen, which overall this year has been okay in terms of their impact on the game. It's clear, it's evident that it is a below-average bullpen talent-wise, but they have in the moments where they absolutely need to perform more often than not, they've been successful and credit for to Don Mattingly for adjusting to which particular guys should be in those most important spots. They've been able to, to this point, have a bullpen that by win probability added, they are right in the middle of the pack in terms of affecting games. But they are hoping of course, that that improves a little bit. One clear uh, reinforcement to them more so than anybody else I can think of would be Dylan Floro because he's been there and he's done that before coming off one of the best years of his career. Hopefully they can get him right to shore up that group. That will do it for this episode. I think on jazz versus Zach Callen as players to this point in their careers and finally on the field matching up on Monday night, whole lot of coverage coming of that matchup before and afterwards. Of course, looking at the bigger picture as well, a Marlins team that has performed well to this point in the season, even relative to some of the heightened expectations that they had. Still 141 games to go in this Marlins season. We'll be with you every step of the way here on Fist Drives. So I've been Eli Sussman. You know where to find me. Find me wherever you find Fist Drives, or you can reach me personally on Twitter at Real Eli, E-L-Y. For feedback about the show, for any sort of Marlins-related talk, I'm there for you. This will be a whole lot of fun. We appreciate the support. 
for both the brands and for all of my individual staffers. They are off to a great start this season. Be sure to follow them and what they put out on the site, their commentary on Twitter as well. We love to have this community vibing, having this community alive for better or for worse. That exchange of ideas and emotions is what makes us all worthwhile. Appreciate you tuning in. Another official show coming up on Thursday and so much other content in between on fishstripes.com. Go to fishstripes.com. Thanks as always for tuning in. Go fish.